and welcome to another edition of the Sabbath School Study Hour. We are just so glad that you have decided to join us here as we continue to study through a relatively new quarterly, which is entitled God's Mission, My Mission. And uh, so this is lesson number two that we're looking at, which is God's Mission to Us, part two. And uh, so if you have a copy of the lesson study, we'll, we'll, we will be referring to it. And uh, some of you may have already started to read through it as well. Uh, go ahead and grab that. If you don't have a copy, you can also take advantage of getting a free copy of this in almost any local Seventh-day Adventist church. And uh, so please take advantage of that. If you don't have a copy, you'd like a copy, even if you're not a church member, you are more than welcome to join um, one of the different uh, church services from typically from 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. And uh, one of the friendly greeters will be happy to get one of those to you. My name is Pastor Sean Brumman, Family Life Pastor here at the Granite Bay Hilltop Seventh-day Adventist Church in Sacramento, greater Sacramento area of California. So again, another warm welcome to all of you who are joining us. I uh, also want to invite you to take advantage of a free gift offer that we have for you here today as we do every edition. In this case, it is a larger, multicolored uh, book that will bring you through the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. So if you're not familiar with that, you haven't studied it, or you'd like to study it further, uh, make sure you go ahead and take advantage of that. If you are in North America or any of the U.S. territories, all you have to do is pick up your phone and dial 866-788-3966. That's again, 866-788-3966 and ask for offer number one or number 888. Again, that is offer number 888 and it's entitled Earth's Final Warning. Now, if you are in the United States only and you have a cell phone, and you also have text servicing, you can go ahead and text the code SH166, and you just dial that to the number 40544. Uh, there is an option that all can access worldwide, and that is through the internet. And so all you have to do is go to study, this is the website address, study.aftv.org front slash SH166, and uh, we'll be happy to be able to connect you to a free digital download of our free gift offer today. So go ahead and take advantage of that. I know that you will be blessed as we uh, study together, as you study, that very relevant message that is more applicable to us than any other generation. Well, friends, I hope not only do you have your quarterly, but most important, the textbook of every Sabbath school study hour, which is a Bible. Uh, the Bible is, uh, of course, the center of our study each week. It is the Word of God, as the apostles and different authors understood it to be. And, uh, and so I want to invite you to go to the New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. As we go to 1 Peter, chapter 1. And we're going to read a very important and helpful truth there in concern to God's plan and Jesus's plan to save mankind. We're going to First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 as we start our study here today. And so verse 20, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest, that is revealed in these last times for you. And so the he there in the context is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, and it tells us here that Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world. In other words, before we come to the creation of all the different life forms and the atmosphere and the planet, the sun, the moon, the stars, of this part of the galaxy or this part of the universe was ever created, God, who knows the beginning from the end of all things at all time, also understood that when this world was created, that uh, tragically, Adam and Eve, the mother and father of all mankind, would made that tragic decision to go ahead and disobey God and bring the curse of sin upon this world. And so even before the world was created, God is revealed to have had a plan. And that's the kind of God that you and I serve if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior even already. Now, before mankind had ever sinned, God had a mission to save us. And the Bible reveals that he's been pursuing us ever since. Now, some of us who are viewing have been pursued to the point where God has won you, even as he has won you, even as he has won me your teacher here today. And so there was a point in my life when I was 20 years of old, 20 years of age, when God pursued me and he found me, he won me, and I responded in a positive way. And my life has always been better ever since. And, uh, and that's an important truth that we need to be able to make sure that we understand that the Bible goes to great lengths to communicate to you and I. Now, we studied already this truth in detail, this helpful truth in detail last week in a large way. Um, as opposed to the worldview of a deist, and a deist is someone who rejects God's involvement in mankind or the world. They believe in an all-powerful, intelligent, creating God that gave life and brought life to this planet in all of its sophisticated ways. But then he kind of just kind of checked out and went to another part of the universe and has been busy somewhere else ever since. But this is much different than what the Bible actually teaches. And so to be a deist might believe in the existence of an intelligent creating God, but it is also to reject a God that is involved and intervening in the affairs of mankind. And that includes, of course, God's involvement and inspiration and guidance of the prophets that God had called over centuries to write the holy scriptures of truth. And not only that, uh, it also rejects the incarnation of Christ when God became one with mankind. But no, the Bible reveals that God has intentionally and continues to intentionally reach out to you and I, to every single human being that lives or ever has lived upon this planet. The Bible tells us that not only does he call every star by name, but he also calls us by name. Jesus made it clear when he was on this, on this earth that God keeps track of the amount of every hair on your head. God is interested and is very much wanting to be involved in your life as well as mine. Well, this week we look at the basic elements of what his mission is all about. And so as we open our quarterly, we go to the second lesson again. That starts with page number 14, God's Mission to Us, part 2. And uh, just to get an overview, uh, the lesson study this week is pointing us to Sunday, which is the triune God, which is the origin of our mission. And so we'll spend some time looking at the origin of our mission. Monday is making disciples. And, uh, and that is to be the focus of our mission. And then Tuesday is the eternal gospel, which is the message 
of God's mission. And then Wednesday is God's people, the channels of mission. And then Thursday, the world, which is none other than the arena of mission as well. Well, as we come to Sunday's particular uh, lesson study, it focuses on the source or origin of the mission that God has given to us and the mission that he has to mankind through us as well. And, uh, and it calls it the triune God. You can call it the triune God. You can go- call God the Trinity. You can refer him as others. Uh, and Book of Romans refers to God as the Godhead, referring to the plurality of God within that three personhood of, that makes that one God. And, uh, and this is the eternal God that is revealed in Scripture. Now, if there's one thing that's crystal clear, both in the Old Testament prophecies and themes, as well, especially in the New Testament, Jesus is front and center among those three persons of the Godhead. And uh, and Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me, Jesus said. And so very clearly here, uh, Jesus understood that he is the key He is the the bridge that bridges sinful mankind to a holy and perfect and eternal Father. Even as Jesus also understood him to be one with the Father. Not just one as in, you know, a husband and wife that come together and they emotionally and mentally committed to each other through this life until death do they part. But the oneness that Jesus talks about is one eternally with the Father. Even as it tells us in the book of Philippians that he did not count it robbery to be counted equal with the Father. And that's, that's why John could write at the very beginning of the Gospel of John in the very first verse as he opened his book with the very first statement. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 of the same book says that the Word and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so the context of that chapter and that statement is obviously talking about the incarnate Jesus Christ, who is not only with God the Father for all of eternity, but is God himself. Did not count it robbery to count himself equal. Well, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, you'll notice that a lot, in fact, the vast majority of our text today is going to be referring to the Gospel of John, especially in Sunday's lesson, but also in some of the other days as well. And uh, John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus is in conversation with uh, some of the rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, and different Israelites. And, uh, and he understood that they were very, very well and uh, very well studied and familiar with the scriptures, but they had missed the main theme of the scriptures. Now, when we say scriptures, and when Jesus made that statement about the scriptures, we need to understand that not a single word of the New Testament had been yet penned. And so this is what we now call the Old Testament portion of the Bible, which is about the first three quarters of the pages of our present Bible today. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures and in them you think that you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. And then he follows up and talks about how sad it is that even though they testify of him and all his wonderful, powerful works, his miracles, his words, his authority, and so on, uh, they still refused to accept him as the true Messiah. 
And so Jesus is the main theme of the Old Testament, and he starts off by being introduced in the very third chapter of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where he is referred to as the singular male seed that would come from the woman, which represents not only Eve, the mother of all mankind, but ultimately symbolizing God's church in the Old Testament, that being the nation of Israel. And, um, and so right from Genesis 3.15 onwards, Jesus is the main theme and focus of both the Old Testament and then, of course, in the New Testament as well. Jesus also made it clear that he wasn't the only one involved in the three persons of the Godhead in saving mankind. It's not like the Father and the Holy Spirit kind of went off and did something else and left Jesus with mankind to do his thing to save us. No, Jesus made it very clear during his public ministry that all three of the members of the Godhead were very much and essentially involved in a partnership with Jesus in saving mankind. Certainly, Jesus, in one of his most famous statements of all, and perhaps one of the most famous statements of the scriptures, at least in American culture, is John chapter 3 and verse 16, where Jesus had made that statement that, who, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so at the very beginning of that famous statement, we have, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is none other than God the Father. And so Jesus, in one of the most famous gospel statements ever, reveals that it's not just Jesus that's involved in the plan of saving mankind, but just as much the Father. In fact, I would like to suggest that in some ways, the Father has taken on the more difficult role because we have this father-son relationship that is, is communicated to us as human beings in a, in a way that we can best relate to as we have so many fathers and sons in the world. And we're accustomed to that reproductive family relationship that God wants us to understand that the father and the son have together. Uh, they have been together not since the father created Jesus, as some have misunderstood some of the scriptures but rather as the vast majority of the scriptures make crystal clear that Jesus the Son is just as eternally existent and powerful and equal to the Father as the Father is. Now, they both hold different roles, and the Father certainly is at the head of the Trinity, if we should say. He is the leader of the Godhead, but nevertheless, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are just as much divine with the Father as well. And so, as we look at this Father-Son relationship, and we think of a healthy, loving relationship between an earthly father and his son. Surely, as so many of us have heard from other fathers, parents and so on, that have had a child that is deathly ill or has just been paralyzed from the neck down and some of these other tragic things that can take place in a broken world, that uh, the father will so often say, the dad will say, oh, what I would do, I would give anything to take the place of my son right now. And I could be in that wheelchair instead of him, or I could be on that deathbed instead of him. And friends, this is none other than the heart of the Father when Jesus was dying so horribly on that cross and suffering for the sins and the penalty of our guilt upon the Son. And so before we start to judge the Father and say, oh, sure, give the dirty work to the Son, I think it's important for us to understand, at least for those of us who have a healthy relationship and loving relationship with our children, that it's always much harder on the parent than the child in some very real ways. 
Well, over and over, Jesus is quoted in the Gospels of saying such things as, I can of myself do nothing. Uh, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Now again, Father, friends, this is not in contradiction to Jesus being God himself as, by the way, the whole Gospel of John, in case I forget, sometimes we, you know, some people ask, well, show me in the Bible where it says that Jesus is divine. And so often we think of and quote John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God. But the very, the entire rest of the Gospel of John is unpacking that first statement, that first verse of the Gospel. This is the number one reason why God inspired and led the Apostle John to write the Gospel of John, according to John. Why? Because it was the last one that was written. There's three very competent, very helpful Gospels already written on the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Christ. But the number one reason that God, among others, but the number one reason was to demonstrate that Jesus was the eternal, divine Son of God, equal with the Father himself. So where were we? We were talking about Jesus and the Father being the source. Oh, that's right. And Jesus saying, I can do nothing of myself, but I seek the will of my Father who sent me. And this is Jesus submitting to his role, not only as the eternal Son of God in that role in, in eternity with his Father, but also, of course, he is the incarnate Jesus, the man, the Son of Man now, as well as the Son of God. And so Jesus led a life very much like you and I as well. Well, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We've been quoting from it a few times now, and we're familiar with some of those texts. But let's go to John chapter 8, because we're going to spend some time there over the next few minutes anyhow. So let's go to John chapter 8. And as we go to John chapter 8, we're going to read verse 28. That's John, the Gospel of John chapter 8. And we're going to read verse 28. All right, verse 28 says, Then Jesus said to them, when you, lift up, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And, uh, and so when Jesus here is, by the way, it's talking about lifting up the Son of Man, he's talking about when Jesus is crucified by mankind for the sins of the world. And he uses that statement more than once, including the Gospel of John, where we have that famous statement, of John 3.16. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing of myself, but my Father taught me I speak these things. And so even the very things that Jesus spoke was not only coming from the heart and the mouth of Jesus, but Jesus wanted us to know that it was always also coming from the mind and the heart of His Father as well. Jesus made it obvious that He was working in close partnership with His Father. But even as the lesson study points out, and the Bible writers point out for you and I, it's not only the God the Father and God the Son that is very much involved in the salvation of mankind, but it is also the, uh, the Holy Spirit that is on record of being essentially involved in bringing us into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, into a saving faith that accepts that gospel and gift of Jesus Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit that is essential in preserving that saving faith with Jesus as well. It was very near at the beginning of Jesus' ministry during the same conversation where he made that famous statement with Nicodemus in the night. In John chapter 3, 16, for whoever, for God so loved the world, etc. 
It's in that same conversation that Jesus also states how essential the Holy Spirit is in the life of a saved believer. And so not only is believing in Jesus essential, and he certainly made that in that statement recorded in verse 16, but he also made it, made it clear that it was essential that we allow the Holy Spirit to do its special and saving work in the heart of a believer as well. And so let's look at that together. John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8. We're looking at John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And there it says to us, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born that when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus seems to be skirting the issues. He, He knew that was impossible. He knew Jesus knew that was impossible. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the... Sorry, uh, where am I? No, did I read verse 3 already? Maybe I did. Well, nevertheless, I want to make sure. So I'm going to read verse 3 for us now. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Sure, and then verse 4 is his response. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so twice Jesus here, in verse 3 and 5, Jesus points out that without the Spirit, we cannot see and we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, friends, to enter the kingdom of God means to become a saved, going from a lost person that doesn't have eternity ahead of them to somebody that is saved for eternity with Jesus. And so when he says that if you're not born of water, referring to that of baptism, but also of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot count himself saved. And so believing in Jesus is essential to salvation. He certainly is front and center in the plan of salvation as he died on the cross as a penalty for our sins. But just as importantly to our salvation is the work of that third person of the Godhead, which is none other than the Holy Spirit of God as well. The Bible clearly reveals that the Holy Spirit is the frontline presence of God. And he's been there present from the moment Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden shortly after they had sinned. And he will be present and essential to salvation for mankind all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come with me to another deep chapter in the book of John concerning this subject of the, um, of the Godhead, the Trinity, the triune God. Call it what you will. Um, It's the same truth that's revealed very clearly in so many different passages in the Bible. But my favorite go-to is the Gospel of John chapter 14. And the reason being is that, and, and again, just like the whole Gospel of John is your Bible answer to those who are asking, where in the Bible does it say Jesus is divine? Well, you say, well, the Bible answer is the whole Gospel of John. If you want to look up the Trinity and you want to study the Trinity in the most comprehensive, extensive passage that I am aware of in all of the scriptures, it's found in the Gospel of John chapter 14. And so I just want to park there and walk through that a little bit with you so that we can have confidence in what Jesus actually taught concerning the Trinity as well as confidence in the work of that Godhead in the salvation of you and me as well. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus made that important statement, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. And so Jesus says, the, one of the most important ways of demonstrating your true love for Jesus is to keep his commandments. Verse 16, he goes on and says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you uh, forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so very clearly here, Jesus is, uh, understands and is uh, teaching us uh, that the Holy Spirit is not a, a force that comes from the throne of God, as some have mistakenly concluded. It's not like electricity, as I've also heard some people mistakenly conclude. Um, but Jesus saw the Holy Spirit as much more than just a power or a force like electricity uh, that comes from the throne of God into the heart and life of a believer but rather is it a very intelligent person of the Godhead himself. And this is why Jesus so freely and so frequently, not only Jesus, but the rest of the New Testament writers as well, referred to the Holy Spirit as a person, as an intelligent individual. And therefore, that's why we saw, see that he's referred to him, 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 he, in that one verse 17 alone. And so he would be another helper, another comforter. Um, by, the word, the, by the way, and I rarely go to the Greek, as you know, if you've watched my Sabbath schools in the past before, because uh, I know that you're almost for certain not an expert in Greek. And I, even though I have a year and a half of college Greek and, and did fairly well, friends, I'm not an expert in Greek by any means. But there are times sometimes when I've kind of did a deep dive in some of these different Bible verses and let the Greek experts, those who are called to be Greek experts, which is not me, uh, give me some helpful insight. And as it turns out, in verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, another comforter, as some of the English translations tell us. Uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, um, another is actually coming from the Greek word hetero, or, or um, um, no, sorry, alos, A-L-L-O-S. And, uh, and so there's two Greek words for another. So the English word that we use for another is actually found in two Greek words. The first one is alos, which is the one here, which is another of the same kind. And then we also have alos, which is uh, not alos, but hetero, which is the Greek word for another of a different kind. And that's where we get the um, English word heterosexual. It's coming from heteros, which means different. Heterosexual means that two different genders are attracted one to another. Well, in this case, it's not a different one, but rather, as Jesus follows up in the English as well as the Greek, uh, this helper, this another helper, this additional helper, is one with Jesus and one with the Father. And it is the spirit of truth. Then we come to verse 18, because Jesus is revealing himself to be eternally one with the Holy Spirit in this verse. Verse 18, Jesus goes on and says, And I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now, friends, Jesus has been gone for almost 2,000 years now since he ascended to his father, to the right hand of his father, some 2,000 years ago. So Jesus is not talking about himself in the physical person, but rather he is talking about himself in the spiritual person, in that third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit himself. Another of the same kind and Jesus knows that he's so much eternally one with the Holy Spirit 
that he can freely say that when the Holy Spirit comes as my Father, who am I eternally one with, sends that Holy Spirit, indeed, I will not leave you orphans, but I will come to you and be with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there are two members of the Godhead that are eternally one. Well, let's continue on in the same chapter. Let's go to verse 23 now. We're just looking at the highlights in regards to the eternal oneness and equality within the Godhead. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Well, there's that test of love again. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so here we find so far that the Father is eternally one with Jesus. Jesus is eternally one with the Holy Spirit, we've also learned from the Bible. And now we're learning the very climax of this lesson that Jesus is teaching on the Trinity in the fact that he can now freely say, we will come to him, that is to a believer, and make our home with him. Now, friends, who's the hour? Well, it's Jesus, the Son of God, the Father, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home with you in your mind, of course, this is the only place that he's interested in being, that's the only place he'll help us, is in the brain, in our mind. When you come into the mind of a believer, when we invite Jesus into our hearts, the Holy Spirit, that invisible part of God, makes his home with us. And thus we have not only the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is with us, but we also have Jesus and we have the Father. And then finally, when we come to verse 25 and to verse 26, we find here Jesus continue to teach us on the Holy Spirit as a person. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, now remember the Father is sending the Eternal Spirit, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so very clearly here, Jesus is revealing one of the important responsibilities and duties that the Holy Spirit will play out in the life of the believer. That's you and me. And that is that he will be our teacher. He will be teaching. And uh, that's why we prayed at the beginning. And every time I open the Bible, I pray, God, please teach me through the Holy Spirit. Teacher, please, Holy Spirit, please do your job as Jesus promised you would and that you are sure, certainly happy to do, which is to be my teacher. Later on, chapter 16, he says, I will, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. And that's found in verse 13 as well. And so the question begs, how does God accomplish uh, all this in our life? And, uh, and friends, there's a very special additional work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. He teaches us, guiding us into all truth. But as it turns out, he is also a prayer warrior for you and I as well. You know, one of the most famous verses and most quoted and helpful verses for the believer is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, where it says, um, for, God, for we know that God brings all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The big question that begs, are, is, begs is, how does God accomplish bringing all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Well, as it turns out, Jesus actually gave us the answer before he made that famous and helpful statement. Let's go to it together. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. 
So we're going to the book of Romans now, chapter 8. And before we read verse 28, we've already quoted from it. Let's back up to verse 26. Okay, we're going to look at the two verses that come before it. And as it turns out, the Holy Spirit is the key person of the Godhead that reveals to us that indeed the Holy Spirit is a very essential prayer warrior interceding for you and I. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit, English translators will most often put that with a capital S because they understand the context demands is the Holy Spirit, who helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It's an intelligent God. It's an intelligent force. The Holy Spirit is not an unintelligent per, uh, a force that's not a person, but rather it is a very intelligent person. For only an intelligent being can actually intercede in prayer before the Father for you and I. And that's exactly what it's telling us the Holy Spirit does for you and I. It has a mind. That's why in verse 27, God continues on. He says, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And so as it turns out, verse 27 tells us that the Holy Spirit has a mind. He's an intelligent, very real person of the Godhead. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then we come to that helpful verse, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, finishing up last Sunday's lesson in John chapter 20 and verses 21, it asks us to read that, and I hope you've read it ahead of time. After Jesus resurrects to life, he commissions the disciples and the apostles to their life work. And uh, he goes ahead and says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And uh, Jesus knew that he was shortly after that going to be ascending to his Father in heaven, and that his first followers, those apostles, the 12 apostles, or 11 at this point, and then the disciples um, would be left to fulfill and continue the mission that he had begun during his three and a half years of public ministry. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. But then he proceeded to breathe on them. And then he goes and says these words, receive the Holy Spirit. Why is that, friends? Because Jesus knew that he was leaving himself and his Father in a very real way through that invisible presence of God himself called the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and he knew that this was their life work. He knew that he needed to leave them with that power and presence of God. Now, friends, I think it's important for us to understand that not only did he breathe on them and offer them the Holy Spirit for their life work, but that also is a life work for you and I. And that's what I appreciate about this particular quarterly lesson that we're looking at. God's mission, my mission. God wants you to take possession and, uh, and, and, and ownership of his mission. Because he doesn't only have a burden for lost mankind. But once you become, once you leave the lost and you entered into the saved, whether you made that decision because you're raised in a faithful Christian home and made that decision, or whether it's something where you have not been with Christ and weren't raised in a Christian home, but later on in life had made that decision for Jesus. You once were lost, but now you're saved. But Jesus doesn't want you to go on and 
just enjoy your relationship with him alone for the rest of your life. No, he wants you to share that burden with him. And the burden that Jesus makes clear, the Father makes clear, he has more than anything else concerning this world, is bringing as many of his lost children into the fold, into eternity as possible. And so to be like Christ is to share Christ's burden and take ownership of, his, of that burden and that, that life work that he calls you into. Yes, but Pastor Sean, I'm a dentist. I'm a busy man. I help people with their teeth. Well, God calls some of us to be dentists and help people with their teeth. I'm a mechanic. I help people fix their cars and, and, and rebuild them or whatever it is. Yes, those are important. That's important too. God is working through that ministry as well. But God has called you to share the burden and say, how can I make a difference outside of the mechanic shop? How can I make a difference outside of my dental practice? in helping the gospel to reach others, to know Jesus, and to be saved for, him, for eternity, just like I am. And so in Sunday's lesson, the last, very last sentence is a very helpful one that I'd like to invite us to go to. We're going to lesson number two on Sunday's lesson that we've been studying. And uh, the last sentence says this, We learn from this that the mission is not ours. It belongs to the triune God. As such, it will not fail. And, uh, and so that's encouraging to know that uh, the statement Jesus made, one of my favorites in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 24 and verse 14, the best of all the signs of the times that you can find in that great chapter on the signs of the times. It's the only one that God's involved in, the only one that he wants you involved in, where he says, and this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And, uh, and so uh, we want to make sure that God... Uh, has us involved in that, and we allow God to know where we can play our part in his mission to lost mankind. Well, friends, time is flying by very quickly, and so let's go to Monday as we look at making disciples, which is now the focus of God's mission. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 and verses 16 through 20. If you don't know it by memory, go ahead and turn to that. Many of us know it by memory. And Jesus came unto, came unto them and said, All authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And we want to underline that go. If you haven't underlined it in your, in your Bible and you're an underliner, go ahead and do that. Highlight it, underline it, circle it. More than anything else, put it in your heart. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go and make what? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's the entire world, friends. And baptize them in the name of the, friend, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus has a very clear mission statement for us. And this is where we go. Some of us refer to it as the great commission. And, uh, and so commission means to commit. This is what God wants us to commit our lives to, is to commit to spreading the gospel and making disciples, making others, helping others to be able to know the abundant life that is found in Christ and to be able to be ready when his second coming is soon to uh, appear. And, uh, and so, friends, uh, this is the mission statement that the World Church of the Seventh-day Adventist Church has. And it certainly should be the mission statement of every local church as well. And so we want to make sure that we are putting that at the foundation of our mission statement. You know, I've been in the pastor of many churches over the last 25 years. 
And I have to say that I've been involved in that process that became popular at different eras of time during our church history where we all gathered together as church leaders and sometimes members and kind of brainstorm and we have our whiteboard and we're all hashing out and sometimes competing you know, for what words and what part is going to be in our local Seventh-day Adventist church statement. What is our mission? And uh, the thing that I always fear during that process is that, um, you know, that we're so interested in getting our mission statement in there that we can miss out on God's mission statement. God wants us to be able to focus on him. And he wants us to take what he has already given to us. In some ways, I think that our mission statement should just be Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, including your neighborhood, including Sacramento, including California, including the United States, for us here in this part of the world, and the same thing for your part of the world. And uh, so we need to be careful with this whole mission statement business. Jesus already came up with the mission. We don't want to hijack that from him. Uh, we want to be able to just take it and run with it. And I hope that there's some of you that are saying a hearty amen. Well, disciple-making is the primary focus of the Great Commission and the main task of his mission. Obviously, the Great Commission is intended for more than just the first disciples that were gathered that heard those words initially from Jesus. Of course, we know that they weren't geographically uh, uh, living long enough to be able to geographically move across all these nations of the world. <coughs> Certainly, God gave them the, a head start with the gift of tongues and knowing so many different languages that they spoke to the different peoples of the Roman Empire. But, of course, we know today that the world's much bigger than where the Roman Empire existed, even as the disciples back then didn't know. Um, but God knew, and we know. And uh, certainly we understand that we're still taking the torch in our generation from the previous generations all the way back to the apostles. And we are running with it. And we are fulfilling the gospel commission even today. (coughs) Excuse me. So it's universal in its scope. Every follower of Jesus Christ needs to be conveyed even as Monday's lesson points out to you and I. All right, so let's move on to Tuesday. And Tuesday, we have the eternal gospel, which is the message of the mission. I've referred to the gospel a number of times. We want to make sure that we understand what that gospel is, because some of us only know half of it. Sadly, some of us know a different counterfeit gospel, and we haven't really come to know the gospel of Christ and the apostles, as the Bible writers themselves wrote it down for us. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. This is a signature passage for the Seventh-day Adventist Church and Movement. For certainly we understand that God has risen up or rose up and created the Seventh-day Adventist Church some, well, almost 200 years ago now, to be able to bring this three-pronged message to the entire planet. And lo and behold, when we come to the very first of the three angels' messages, we find that the gospel is front and center. And that's not by coincidence, friends. It's because... It should be front and center, always has been. Verse 6 says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to all those who dwell on the, on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the seas, and the springs of water. And, uh, and so, friends, we find that in this first of the three angels' message, the, the angel is going first and foremost with what? With the everlasting, or as some English translations tell us, the eternal gospel. 
And this is the only place in all of Scripture, as the lesson study points out, that we have the word eternal or everlasting connected to gospel. And certainly it is an eternal gospel. Why? Because it's something that was existent before the foundation of the world in the mind of God, as we read in First Peter in our beginning of our lesson study. It certainly exists during the era of humankind as we know it on this broken planet. And even after Jesus comes, the eternal gospel will have eternal effects for all the saved in his kingdom for all of eternity. And so certainly connecting eternal with the gospel is fitting. Well, what are the basic elements of the gospel? The first paragraph of Tuesday's lesson tells us that the first element of the gospel of Christ, of the eternal gospel, is that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice to bear the penalty of our sins. And so Jesus took that perfect, holy, sinless life, the only man that ever lived from birth to death without sinning, and then he died a perfect death. Not because he deserved it. No, he's the only one that doesn't deserve death but rather he died in your place as well as mine. That's the very heart and beginning and foundation of the, of the eternal gospel. But it doesn't stay there, does it? Then he rose to life again. He resurrected. And of course, Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. The gospel wouldn't hold much water with us today if we knew that we could be with Jesus in this life, which certainly makes life better, but this would be all there is. After the grave, there would be nothing without Jesus first rising from the dead and conquering death for you and I. And so that's the second element. The third element is listed here as Jesus returned to heaven. And what did he do when he returned to heaven? Well, he got busy interceding for you and me. And, uh, and so he went to the right hand of the Father. He was exalted by the Father. And today he intercedes for us in the heavenly sanctuary. And so he is our high priest. In the book of Hebrews goes to great lengths to help us to understand that the gospel doesn't end at the cross. It doesn't end at the tomb when he walked out victoriously. It doesn't end when he ascended to his father in heaven after his resurrection 40 days later. But rather, it also refers to Jesus today, right now, interceding for you and I in the heavenly sanctuary. And so 24-7, we can come to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I've blown it today. I went and lost my temper. I've lied. I wasn't honest as I should have been in this situation. Whatever it is, and Jesus is there as we boldly come before his throne of grace, asking for forgiveness. And so a big part of the gospel that is lost in too much of Christianity today is found with Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary right now as your priest as well as mine. And then, of course, after he's finished his, his priestly ministry, he comes back again as he had promised. And, uh, and a thousand years later, he wraps things up by making this earth new and he establishes an eternal kingdom and earth and planet for you and I to live forever. And so, friends, all of these six elements are essential realities of the eternal gospel. Well, it also points out in the lesson study what the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us as well, especially in the book of Galatians, that there is only one gospel. Now, sometimes people have mistakenly misunderstood, not, not only within Christianity can there be multiple Gospels that all end up in the same place and we all end up at the same location when all, everything is said and done, but some have even gone even further than that in following into another lie, which tells us that it doesn't even matter what religion you choose, that they're all going to end up in the same place, they all end up in eternity, we all kind of gather together in one place and have eternal bliss no matter what pathway that you choose. This is completely diametrically opposed to what both Jesus and the apostles taught. Jesus, as we quoted earlier, said very clearly, very dogmatically, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one 
No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only bridge between us in a broken world and a sinful existence and eternity with God. Well, not only that, but in Galatians chapter 1, we find here that God is inspiring Paul to make it clear that there's only one gospel and not to fall for any other. Let's turn to that because it's just so important. And uh, just like other weeks, we're not going to be able to get through everything in this particular lesson study, but I'm just going to do my best to be able to do that while also picking up on some key essential Bible truths that God brings to you and I through this lesson study as well. So we're going to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Paul here is talking about the only gospel that can save. And because he knows that any other false gospel that we accept. Now, friends, I know that God winks at our ignorance. And if you're in a false gospel or false religion and so on, you know, there's many of God's people that just don't know any better. But what I'm referring to and what the Bible verses that we're looking at here is referring to is those, those who already know or have been exposed or have access to the true gospel, but are falling or accepting another gospel or religion that really isn't the way and the truth. So I think it's important for us to understand that as well. Okay, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, that's capital H, Jesus himself, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And so Paul is writing a letter back to a number of different churches that he planted in an in a area of uh, what today would be modern Greece, Greece uh, Turkey, and so on. And he's saying, listen, I'm writing to you as believers that I won to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've heard the bad news that you have turned away from Jesus and from the grace of Jesus to a totally different gospel. Verse 7, it says, which is not another. So here God is inspiring Paul and clarifying with the Galatian believers. He's saying, listen, I've heard that you turn, turn into a different gospel. Don't think that there's multiple choice when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. No, he says, which is not another but there are those among you, or there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Then he picks it up a notch. In verse 8 he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Scholars like to go back to the Greek on that, the anathema. You know, and that was the word that was used even during the Protestant uh, Reformation and some of the pushback from the Catholic Church and so on. They pronounced it anathema, and a curse, let you be cursed. In verse 9 it says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than that which, we have than what which you have received, let him be accursed. And so Paul here is, is not a happy camper when he hears that many of these believers that he had won to the gospel of Jesus Christ, won to being born again in Jesus, won to the grace that is received through faith, and, uh, and now they have turned from that to a uh, false gospel, a different gospel, a counterfeit. And that counterfeit is based on the Judaism and, and the legalism and the self-righteousness that Paul had been delivered from, in which he was a champion for Judaism of his day uh, into the truth and gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to understand there's only one gospel that can save us. There is no other. Then later on in the same lesson study, it says, but what kind of disciples does God want us to make? This is also important because some have 
misconcluded and, and have started to believe that if we just make a bunch of good people and we make them good citizens in, in, our, in our community, that's all it takes. That's all that God is asking. Well, that's part of it. And it points that out in the lesson study. It says, good, honest, fully devoted, loving people. Well, yes, these traits are essential, but they are not enough. We must make disciples focused on all biblical elements of discipleship. The scripture that came to my mind was the same book of Galatians that we were just reading, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. One of my favorite powerful statements concerning the gospel and how it makes a difference in your life and what we need to do to accept that gospel. And when we look at Paul, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith. In the life that I now live in the flesh, in the here and now, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so we are called to make those, uh, we are called to help people understand that God calls us to crucify ourselves, to surrender ourselves to him, and allow Christ to be the Christ that he needs to be in our hearts. That Holy Spirit, that third person of the, of the Godhead that we talked about that would enter into our minds and give us a perspective, an attitude, and the fruits of the Spirit that we could never achieve or experience on our own. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, again, describes it so fitly. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so, friends, we go from darkness into light when we come into Jesus. It's not just becoming a good person. Certainly, that is one of the fruits of, of being a Christian, is you become an honest, sober Loving, forgiving, patient, uh, uh, faithful wife or faithful husband. Uh, all these are good for the community, to be sure. But friends, none of these can come without being born again in Jesus. There's a quote from uh, one of my favorite books called Christ's Object Lessons at the bottom of the lesson study. And it says, the proclamation of the judgment and that is, is found in Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7 that we read, the first angel's message, is an announcement of Christ's second coming is at hand. And this proclamation is called the everlasting gospel. And thus the preaching of Christ's second coming, the announcement of its nearness, is shown as an essential part of the gospel message. And so we come to Wednesday's study. People, God's people, are the channels of his mission. We are pointing to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, where God calls Abraham, and he says, it is through you that you will bless not only yourself and your descendants, but all nations. And, uh, and certainly we are a part of that even uh, today. Well, friends, we only have a couple of minutes left. I want to bring you to an important scripture here, and that's found in Isaiah. And this will be our last one that we'll look at. Isaiah chapter 56, because this has just been so helpful to me in the past, and Maybe it's something that you haven't had, um, it's something that you haven't been pointed to yourself and it'll make a difference in your life as well. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, oh, sorry, 56, Isaiah 56, uh, in verses 6 through 7, we're going to Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 7. Yeah, verses uh, 6 through 7, it says, Also the sons of the foreigner, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, 
and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so very clearly, and by the way, this is found, found sprinkled all the way specifically in the book of Isaiah, that clearly reveals that God had not called Israel and the descendants of Abraham the Jewish people as we know them today, to be some kind of special exclusive club that are privy to the, to the relationship and the blessings that can come from the true God of the universe and all the rest of us, we just try to get the scraps as best we can. No, that's not at all. Very clearly here, God is saying the sons of the foreigner, that's a Gentile, that's a non-Jewish person. Any person of any nation, God says, that comes to Israel and is attracted to the, to the light that is shining from a nation that is keeping the law of God from the inside out, that is born again in the Holy Spirit and is wanting to worship God through the sacrificial system that was established back in those days to symbolize the coming Christ. Then God says, listen, every single one of them is welcome and counts themselves, can count themselves and he's eternal child of the king. They are part of Israel from that point on. They are an Israelite. That's why he says, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. God intended his temple not to be for the Jews only, but the Jews were to be the starting point, And then we were to move, they were to move into uh, helping the rest of the nations and peoples and races across the entire nation, entire world, to be able to find that experience and gospel in Jesus Christ. So, friends, that's our uh, time. We're up today. Uh, don't forget to take advantage of our free gift offer. If you missed the beginning of our lesson study, it's entitled uh, Earth's Final Warning. And all you have to do is dial 1-866-788-3966. Again, that's 1-866-788-3966. Ask for offer 888. And we're happy to get that out to you if you live in North America or the U.S. territories. If you have a text uh, service on your cell and you're in the USA only, you can go ahead and text SH166 to 40544, and, uh, and that'll hook you up with a free digital download as well. Friends, thank you again for joining us. Look forward to uh, having you join us again next week as we look at lesson number three. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want and most important, to share it with others.